Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Angler Podcast. This is Sean McNulty from the Wake Up Newsletter here at the Angler. Here with me today, of course, are Janice Min and Richard Rushfield. And we're going to talk to uh, Peter Kiefer uh, in a little bit, who had a great capper to uh, our series, The Squeeze, this time on our most precious commodity, uh, executives. Uh, right, Janice? That's, uh, <laughs> I think some would beg to differ with you. Oh, is, that but... not, is that not part of the piece? All right. <laughs> Uh, we're going to get to Peter uh, Peter in a bit, who's, who's generously interrupting his vacation to join us. And that's, He's uh, joining us nice. from the Maui Bureau of the Anchor. <laughs> yeah. oh, we, oh, now you tell me we have one. Okay, I get it. <laughs> uh, as always, you can follow us on the socials uh, at the Anchor across, uh, across all platforms. And uh, you can and uh, should subscribe to the Anchor at theanchor.com, where you can get access to uh, Peter's great piece and all the squeeze pieces, uh, as well as my wake up newsletter and all the newsletters and podcasts we do here at the Anchor. And uh, Janice, the Anchor is going IRL. What's happening? Yeah. So we have an event that uh, coming up on March 8th. So we have this partnership that we have formed with Advertising Week. And Sean, you went with me once to Advertising Week in New, in York, New York City. Yeah. And it's yeah. like this like spectacle of executives, brands, and you know, it's done really, really well and great people on the stage. Um, and so they had um they had asked if we would partner with them on a first time ever event in Los Angeles, more specifically Beverly Hills, um, about streaming. And um, so there it's called um, it's not spelled properly, but it's called Next Stream Global and Stream Global. And they actually put me on the phone with their branding agency because as an editor, misspellings make me itchy. I, I know, but I know, it, I know. But they explained the importance of branding something, and I get it. So it's called Next Stream Global, and it's about the convergence of entertainment, streaming, advertising, and brands. And so we have a really good lineup. It's um, Tony Vincicara, who we all know, um, Tony, yep. who doesn't do a lot of stuff. So I feel really excited to have Tony Vincicara on the stage, um, the CEO of Sony Entertainment. Um, we have Tom Ryan, uh, who... <laughs> The CEO yeah. of Paramount Streaming, who may or may not be making a lot of headlines these days. Yeah, um, yeah. Rita Farrow, the president of Disney Advertising. Um, and Jeremy Zimmer, the CEO oh. of, of yeah. UTA, um, who always has lots of interesting things to say. So it's going to be for a, um, it's going to be held at UTA. They're nice enough to give us their theater and their campus, which is gorgeous. Um, and um, it's going to be super fun. So for people who, it's going to be small, so we can't have everyone there. We're not selling tickets, but um, there is a website, but I'm going to give you our, an email address to email instead for more information. It's events at theangler.com. Okay. How was my plug? Was that good? You're, you should uh, get into the pitch business, Janice, really. Yeah. You know, outside of your spelling error, I think we'll, we'll, let, it, we'll let it slide. But. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to make um, your, your speech yeah. of the day, but uh, so that's also that's a uh, that's Oscar week too. So that's a uh, Oscar week. Oh, Wednesday, it's Oscar week, and I should I'm, I missed the headline. You're coming <laughs> for it, Sean. Even though uh, I'm told I'm coming, yes, you're exactly, coming. So. Even though you refuse to buy the plane ticket, um, so it's earnings week, Janice. I got a lot going on, <laughs> but people are excited to have the Sean McNulty yeah, um, uh, uh, moderate their panel for them. Uh, yeah. Okay. We'll see how that. I'm legit. Uh, yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> All right. We'll get to the talk about that next week. Uh, You're going to bring of, human live gifts. Yes. Yes. Something. So yeah. email Janice uh, with what you want me to wear. Uh, <laughs> so speaking of earnings, we had a, another busy week, Janice. Uh, certainly Roku uh, was up about 25% this week on uh, their earnings. The numbers 
weren't great, but they, uh, you know, the business fundamentals are sound and, you know, a positive response there for a stock that's, uh, that's, you know, a tough six months as a lot of, a lot of stocks have. Um, and their, you know, users keep going up and things like that. Uh, but this morning, uh, was AMC networks. Um, <laughs> first time since the November, the other November blow up, uh, where James Dolan came in and fired his CEO who we promoted just about three or four months earlier. No call, no questions about that today, Janice, uh, by the way, on the call. Um, wow. And there was also no husband and wife pairing, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. You mean husband and ex-wife pairing? Uh, and separated, separated. Oh, separated, separated. separated. So uh, Kristen so Dolan, this... just, we're talking about, she's the new CEO of AMC Network starting uh, February 27th, I believe. So it was Mr. J- James Dolan, who's the current CEO, CEO, some would say reluctant CEO, <laughs> and still chairman and owner of the company. And his CFO. So uh, that was the the call this morning, Janice. So we've had Nepo babies, and now we have Nepo exes. Is this the new? Well, you know, this uh, degree of that, according to uh, what was this, this quote uh, on the call? The, the, uh, there was a, a thorough search by the board to find Kristen. So it was a very vetted process. <laughs> Do you think she changed yes. her last name on the when she applied <laughs> <laughs> to mask it? She just used her middle name or something. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. yeah. Right. I mean, she sounds she sounds like she has great experience. I don't. Uh, we're joking, but exactly. Under, she underline. was in cable vision for years, which is where, of course, yes. she and James and met, and she uh, ran an analytics firm, a data analytics firm for her own firm for a few years, and she was and, been on the board of AMC for right. With and I'm, well. I'm presuming a big part of having that job is knowing how to work with James Dolan. That probably is a way to how to navigate uh, the chairman is a always a valuable skill. If, if Disney has taught us anything, that <laughs> that's always a valuable thing, or or, wait, or Paramount wait. or anybody else. So, Sean, something really okay. So, AMC Networks does their call, and then the stock popped, right? But yeah, we have a lot. Okay, so we have a little theory, and maybe or a joke well. <laughs> joke theory. Are people confusing it with the AMC theaters meme stock? Not this time. That did theoretically, well, not factually, but seemingly happened last year when AMC Network, AMC theaters, when they became the meme stock, and during the you know the really tough times AMC theaters was having, AMC Network stock was also getting quite an increase for seemingly no reason other than their stock tickers both start with AMC. And the level of sophistication of the investor in the AMC theaters uh, process may not have been as savvy at the time, Janice. So that that was a <laughs> that was a cure. Then the stock AMC Network stock came back down to you know its normal level. But yeah, that was a fun that was a fun part of the pandemic that uh, shall be remembered in perpetuity. Uh, but this time, no, I mean, the stock is it's up twenty six percent this morning. Whoa! Yeah, uh, on news that isn't really great. They just beat. Wall Street expectations and the cost cutting that, you know, James Dolan announced, uh, the, you know, 20% layoffs of the staff. And that, that was back in November. You know, that stuff does pay off uh, in a certain way. And what you're seeing, Janice, too, or what I've been seeing, and it's just the third call is happening now where I've seen the, you know, library licensing revenues were up a lot. Oh. Lionsgate had this. They had their best quarter pretty much ever of. Of, of licensing money, you know, essentially, essentially selling your product, you know, to the other selling your library old stuff, to, the old stuff, to the right? new place. Yes. This is all that those Avod deal, you know, the the, uh, the the Pluto deals that WBD's been doing, all you know, all this stuff that you know the, the, we don't, no, nobody's watching it here. Do you want it? Um, those kinds of deals uh, and other things of digital distribution and so forth. But 
Lionsgate had a huge quarter. Paramount Pictures had a, a rather large Q4 on this as well. Smile. Uh, you know, the, fil- the film division. Well, no, but this is library. This is library. This oh, library. Oh, this isn't theatrical. The, this is a different uh, Paramount Pictures breaks out a different line for theatrical and, you know, for essentially library. And the library line was a large bump in Q4 as well. And then now AMC Networks had a huge 150% bump from a year ago. And they're essentially licensing and library line as well. Um, a third of that is because Apple TV bought a series from them, um, which is called Wool, which is coming out uh, sometime later this year. Wool? Wool. Uh, yeah, it's in, uh, a sci-fi underground futuristic. W-O-O-L? W-O-O-L, yes. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. Uh, probably stands for something, but I don't know. Right. You know, one of those kinds of it's things. Cheap. It's cheap in space. <laughs> it's, it's not, exactly. <laughs> um, so that's part of it. But that helps to offset, you know, other declines going on. But, you know, look, the ad- advertising was down 12%. The court cutting affiliate payments were down 7%. You know, this, they still have the same problems, Janice. And that's where, and they projected for 2023, revenue is going to be down 6% total for the year already. So, you know, it's not a good picture there. It's not a 26%. <laughs> oh my God, this is a great, you know, it's a promising future in the cable TV business. It's like, not really. So the stock pop is definitely a, an artifact of the current stock market we live in. So, well, yeah, yeah. But James well, Golden well, did, not, did not sound happy to be on the earnings call, by the way. Well, do you think he ever sounds happy? Uh, I would, that's also very true. But uh, he was like, you know, when people, you know, analysts come on, they sometimes they say, you know, I have to actually have two questions and so forth. And he's like, oh, great. You know, kind of like that kind of vibe. Right. He, he probably had a second screen going, watching faces coming I, in and out of Madison Square Garden. Uh, <laughs> there might have been something else to, to distract his attention. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, that was his one and only earnings call appearance. Uh, Kristen will be running the next one for sure uh, in three months. So um so we'll see you know it's all about franchise janice uh mayfair which is you know and the Anne rice universe is the next thing after walking dead but you know for all these companies you know paramount is leaning into franchises and you know uh we talk about this in the podcast you know you're not creating new hits it's just all based off of these one things well this is going to be a theme when in this because i think peter is gonna, peter keeper is going to touch on this the sort of one of the things that's drudgery for executives is just trying to squeeze more out of existing ip that that's in their company's libraries so yeah. we'll save no. that thought for yes we'll get for to peter def- to exactly expound. exactly um, so, um uh, wait so before we talk about paramount can i bring up two things sure we said we weren't going to talk about one thing is our producer really wanted us to make a nod to Raquel Welch. And so we will nod to Raquel Welch. May she rest in peace. Um, And, (laughs) and the second thing is I just have to say something about this Don Lemon controversy, which is like, I don't know if you saw the headlines today about his apology to the staff, but it's like, it's pretty crazy. And, um, and the kind of like the history of CNN and it's sort of, Lots of not great stories uh, that have come out about its culture and anchors around women. And then this goes on and that, you know, um, it's and that women are largely the ones who watch morning television. So I would I will be surprised. And I think I saw a line in some story that that the company is waiting to see how the public reaction, whether it dies down or grows. Um, But yeah, but he also had a thing in December 
like where he yelled at a, or something where he was, you, you know, on the set yelled at another one of his female co-anchors, right? Wasn't that a thing? It's in bad. Too? Like, and so like, and so this is what, like, I think, so he apparently, I think makes at least twice as much as his co-anchors, Poppy Harlow and Caitlin Collins. Right, and, right. um, and I, you know, he, like he, it just seems inexcusable to allow him to, uh, you know, demean and insult his colleagues on air every morning with no repercussion. And, so and off and it sounded like off camera as well, and that and was you know, a big issue. So, so it also just seems, you know, with Chris Licht is a pretty no BS, seemingly kind of guy, and this doesn't seem like something he wants to put. This is you know, he's a morning show guy. This is his first real big thing, and I think this feels does not jive well with what I have read and know of Chris Licht of someone who's like, yeah, this is what I was going for. Right. <laughs> right. I want more people to be talking about this than watching it, which is basically what it's right. and not about the news of the day and, you know, being which is more of a straightforward presentation and getting back to the real news and all that things that, you know, he's been emphasizing. This just feels very off brand for what he's been setting out. So, yeah, I, I know, uh, as you said, a lot going on there, but. Well, uh, we shall Let, see. We we shall see. I think until yeah, we shall see. Anyway, um, uh, so we, well, then there was Paramount this week, which we just, uh, I said go read my newsletter at the wake up. I broke it out very uh, in detail. Um, the earnings call. It's a this very week. fine breakdown of Paramount. <laughs> I'll put that on. That was my my pull quote for that, Janice. Thank you yes. very much. Yes, that's great. <laughs> Speaking of executives in Hollywood. Uh, Peter Kiefer had a piece this week, Janice, uh, the next installment of The Squeeze, and he's uh, here to join us today. Peter, uh, you're on vacation, I guess, is that? Am I, am I, this this piece put you on a vacation somewhere? Is that, is that accurate, my reporting? Well, yeah, I wasn't planning on putting it out in the, the week that I'm in Hawaii, but yeah, I, I am uh, patching in from the, the island of Maui and uh, happy to be here. Good to see you again. Uh, I think a lot of Hollywood executives would probably like to be with you uh, on vacation, it sounds like. So uh, set up, you know, again, uh, again, a great job in the piece. But uh, this is the executive focusing on Hollywood executives uh, in the series, The Squeeze. Yeah, it was um, it was a challenging one because The Squeeze, my our, my colleague, Nicole Laporte, had done such an excellent job on the, the, the previous um, stories that she'd done. And I was focusing on the executives and what I found quickly was that it was hard to come up with some sort of unifying theory about what was happening to all of them. Uh, compensation. Yes. It's been impacted in recent years. There's been lots of layoffs recently. Um, but there wasn't no, there wasn't a singular narrative that I could sort of sink my teeth into until I sort of kept hearing of this word malaise. And that was sort of what I was trying to get at in the piece was that yes, Things are still there's still money to be made. Yes, people are still, you know, making excellent salaries and they're living a pretty good life. But generally speaking, what I found was that the executives in the town are feeling a little bit down and out about the business that they're in and the and the work that they're doing, which I found to be quite surprising, just considering just the huge amounts of of of, of content that's being created from film and televisions. And yet people are exhausted. Um, I think there's a, a deep sense of anxiety uh, about what the future holds for them. And yes, I know, uh, as we said in the story, you could spare us the, the, the violins, but um, there is, a, there is right. a people who are getting laid off and there isn't the kind of money swirling around um, that there was five, 10, 15 years ago. And so um, it was, uh, you know, I think it, it, it was, it was interesting to get into. And um, I think I'm, the response has been, you know, 
I've gotten a, a lot of lot of incoming since the story came out uh, two days ago. I, I'm sure. I, and so I just want to read the because I actually, believe it or not, even though I've been an editor forever, I actually had to look up the definition of malaise just to because I couldn't I, I know the gist of it, but I didn't I didn't know the literal definition. So it's a general feeling of discomfort, illness or uneasiness. And I think in your piece, you definitely uh, reflect that in in the people you interviewed. And so I think um, I like two things you did in there, which were you you interview two headhunters who work who place people in Hollywood jobs and um and they gave you know some pretty interesting on the record interviews about how um everything's taking longer everyone's cautious and I mean they used the nicest language possible to say like things are weird basically um but there were a couple of other factors that you pointed out is um causing malaise um and I'll start with um one of them which is uh. I think you describe it as Silicon Valley economics that came into comp packages for a, for what are now a lot of people working in the industry. Right. Yeah. And and that's just something that's been a, a, one of the many trends that has occurred um, when s- the Silicon Valley ethos has sort of taken over Hollywood. And um, that's effectively where uh, compensation packages are being weighted more heavily towards stock. Um, and it's not a one size fits all for all the major companies. Um Amazon has its own sort of setup and Netflix has its own setup. But by and large, compared to 10 years ago, uh, more and more stock is constituting compensation packages, which is fine and great when we're in a healthy you know, stock market and people are you know, seeing their, the, the prices go up and their overall, you know, the value of their packages going up. But that's not where we are right now. And so that was also playing into a lot of the anxiety because you know, the, the the market's been in a very good place up until about, you know, nine months ago. And so I think the general feeling was that was a, that was a, that's a cool way to be compensated when things are good. But that's just not the outlook right now. Right. And um, at Amazon, which, again, like tiny violin territory, but that the top pay, the top salary for a white collar employee at Amazon is um, $350,000. And that's a stock um, as of yesterday um, was when your story posted was trading at $99 a share down from a high of $186 in 2021. So, um, you know, these stock plans are typically for your vesting. And so you are if you started in the content boom, um, you are you've been writing the content decline, right, or the, the economics of how it's the content is being viewed by Wall Street now. Right, right. I mean, Amazon's on the extreme end of um, how they dole out their compensation, capping pay at 350, and then the rest of it is um, all in stock. Uh, but that's that's at Netflix. It's they, they don't have they have a, a voluntary um, stock program for their employees. But I know personally, I spoke to with a number of people who have uh, put in heavily when their stock was soaring. And a lot of those, a lot of that money that they put in is going to be underwater. And who knows if uh, that money that they've invested will come back to the same point where they were a year ago when the the stock was soaring. So yeah, I mean, the compensation was definitely part of it. But there's other elements that the story was getting into, which is just about the green lighting process, and how challenging that has become and how there's really a fear uh, based decision making um, environment that people are are in right now, and a lot of the I, I interviewed a number of very very top people who were running studios and networks 
uh, before the streaming era. And they all said it on mass. They said it's 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 a terrible place to make creative decisions when fear is has seeped into the into the into the process. You it, this is by design. This is a, a a a risky business to be in, and making big creative choices on big budgets requires risk taking. And there's just a sense whether it's the algorithms now that are coming into play, whether it's this belief that everything should be based on existing IP whether it is some sort of worry about greenlighting a show that might be considered culturally insensitive, all of those things have ultimately made it that people are really kind of scared to stick their necks out on things. And and that's a worry for people who have had successes in the past. Right. I, it just, I, I think it was pretty clear from your piece, like the joy of developing series and films seems to be not uh, not great, not high at the moment. Yeah. And I think that that, you know, that gets into it's 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 all the things I listed previously. And I mean, I, I at the same time, though, what's so so funny is that we're living in this. This has been happening against the backdrop of peak TV and all right. the huge amounts of content being created. And yet at the exact same time, there's this sort of belief that, I you, you know, we have to let's rely on things that are tried and true and proven. And those sort of things are clashing right now. And I think that no one can expect this amount of content to be created, you know, in perpetuity. So where do we where does it ultimately land is the question. Yep. I, I, and I think, you know, you you state in the story basically the salary ranges for people at the studios um, that a vice president at one of the traditional studios can make from one hundred seventy five to three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Executive VPs can make six hundred thousand to one and a half million. And so those for most people sound like really high salaries. Um, but uh, at the top of your story, you interview someone who would, um, was interviewing for a marketing position at NBC Universal, and um, the person was shocked by the job description. And do you want to just tell us what, what he read when he saw the job description? Yeah. I mean, this was um, a, a source that I'd been sort of speaking to regularly on and off, and he was um, very high up at one of the top streamers, and he was laid off a couple years ago. And he has been pounding the pavements. And I know this because I, I check in with him regularly on how it's going. And he he flagged this one job that he was going for, which was, you know, it had all the trappings, you know, a nice vice presidential job title. He was reporting to a very sort of senior level individual. And it was at a, you know, seemingly NBC Universal, a, you know, one of the big powerhouses in the industry. And but based upon his um, experiences looking at other jobs, he quickly realized that this was basically three or four jobs that was jammed into one. Mm -hmm. And the, the compensation was not nearly what was commensurate with what was being asked of this individual, which um, speaks to this general idea that, you know, we're in a, we're in a climate now where people are going to be asked to do more with less. And um, I just think that that's the situation we're going to be in for a little while longer. And that's, uh, and, you know, perhaps that's what was necessary coming out of the boom times, but it's definitely causing people to feel a little distressed about uh, where the industry is and where their own careers are headed. And you make this point also that smaller industry players are getting impacted by the, by all of this, because Netflix and other people who've entered the market have driven up salaries to the point where it's there where small players have to pay extraordinary sums also. Right, right. Yeah, it was funny when I was starting to report this, the piece, I was anticipating to get us the idea that 
you know, some of the more traditional um, uh, production companies and studios were going to were going to be offering less money. But that actually wasn't the case no. because of the level of competition um, that was introduced by first Netflix and now Apple and Amazon and Hulu um, and all of the new streamers. They're 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 pushing up um, the quotes, not only just for top talent, but for business people, for all the things that you need to ultimately make a studio uh, run. So that's impacting the smaller players who are having to compete and, and they're having to, you know, up the amount of money uh, that they're going to be able to put put for like, you know, a, a business, a, you know, mid-level business development guy um, is, right. is going to be asking the kind of quote that they could be going to Netflix then. So that's hitting this, those medium-sized players uh, quite hard as well. And you got to take into a fact that this is Los Angeles and like the, 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 this is not a cheap place to live. Real estate has been soaring and we're going through this, you know, an economic crisis with all this inflation. So that's also impacting um, what, what people are going to be asking for from these, the places that aren't, don't have a budget like Netflix or Apple. Uh, This head of an independent studio. Can I just read this quote he gave you? Um, it says, I'm looking for a director of business administration with six to eight years experience and candidates want 250000 to 300000 And I think that's absolutely insane. But we also know that a house in Santa Monica costs two and a half to $3 million at a minimum. A household that makes four hundred to 500000 is the new middle income. I mean, and I guess on the west side of LA it is, but you know, nowhere else in the country. Um, or a few other places in the country, but that is the reality. Oh, sure is. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, when uh, I think that just, I know we focus a lot on Netflix, but, you know, they, to, to grab the, ma- the, the, the market share that they, they've now been able to achieve, they had to pay a lot for yeah. projects and for, for, for talent and, and, sure. and for executives and whatnot. And I think that what you're seeing is that that upped, all of these quotes that up the yeah. ante for everyone else around them. And the question, I think, again, there's not lots of questions, but one that seems unresolved is, does that ever drop back down to what it was previously? Or is this just the new normal and everyone's just going to have to adjust appropriately? And I don't know, I, I I would leave it to the bean counters to tell me if it makes business sense to to have that amount of money swashing around, or maybe it's the appropriate amount. Right. Um, Richard, do your yes. executive friends, are they having fun? I mean, it's 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 very hard now. Everyone, you know, you start with everyone is very nervous. And I mean, the, the, knowing that your job is there, that your job is secure, um, feeling like your job is going to exist in the air, like uh, th- those are big things. Um, the, uh, 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 you know, they 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 still do okay to keep their heads above water here. I don't, uh, nobody's uh, nobody's sending their there are six-year-olds in the coal mines or anything, but um, it's just a very tense time, and it's very, it's very, the 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 work they do, they don't they 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 don't feel the same excitement about, and they don't feel the same security, in. and uh, it's it's uh, you know the the effect of every place that that the tech industry has gone into has been the to to vacuum up all the money for the very the people at the very top. And the middle gets squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. It, it's, the, it's the same thing here. And it's what the, the Amazon salaries are, what everybody's experiencing. Well, this this quote is sort of for you, Sean, where, um, and 
Peter quotes from that book that uh, the HBO book from Felix Gillette and John Coblin. And there was a quote in the book from uh, someone named Ross Greenberg, who you probably knew, Sean. Maybe yeah, you didn't when you were uh, a little bit, yeah, okay. HBO sports uh, who, yeah, guru. Yeah. Yep. And that, let's see, that um, when AOL and let's see, an AOL executive came into the Bryant Park offices in New York and uh, stressing the importance of quarterly financial reports. Um, and then, Peter, what was the line that Ross told told the authors? I think it was something if, if you guys don't something along the lines of if, if you guys don't meet the, the you know, the, the, your quarterly's uh, earnings requirements, we're going to start throwing the furniture out the window. And they were yeah. this was this was at a moment when I don't think he knew what quarterly earnings were. Right. I don't right, I think right, that yeah. was the cult. That was. I don't think anyone did at the point at that time, you know, and 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 then which we obviously made the point of the story, which is, you know, cut to today, you know, when it, it quarterly earnings reports are these massive deals and they have a huge impact on 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 the industry. And they're they're people are buzzing about them days and days in advance. And if you don't know when the quarterly earning report is coming and you're an employee at one of these places, you're you're probably not long for their world so it's just a it just it just speaks to the the notion that wall street is playing a a a sort of dictatorial role um in in the creative processes because you know wall street doesn't need to make decisions on giving notes on a script or which which actor is ultimately going to be the best for this particular job they want one thing and one thing only but we all know there's millions of decisions that go into whether or not something is a hit or something is not going to be a hit. And so the trying to square those two things is, 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 is just going to be an endlessly challenging thing for the industry to figure out. And the, and the, also, the illusion, go ahead, Richard. Uh, the, the illusion is that um, you can make safe choices in entertainment. They just take, take the safe road and just do the obvious thing and just make the same show as you made last year. Or just uh, do the same thing. And that's, the one thing that is sure to not work. Uh, and, you know, a, a producer gave me a rule about the streaming world a few years ago, said the company that wins will be the company that has the greatest appetite for risk because they will find the hits. And the the company that doesn't want to take the chances and is afraid and backwards looking will just slowly, fest, slowly decline. And fester, that, that, that course is preordained. Uh, Richard, do you remember we had lunch not that long ago with somebody who you're not going to remember what this person said, but I did what, where we were, and this person was quite senior at one of the very, very large traditional studios. And he, I guess, did not work out there. And he said, um, he said, I didn't realize that when you get into one of these places, you're actually not, to, you're not supposed to say anything. You're not supposed to say very much <laughs> in the meetings. And, um, and I, you know, this was a while ago and I'm, I'm presuming for a, in a lot of places that that has actually gotten more pronounced. It's, it's uh, been a corporate role from the beginning and how to succeed in business. Uh, I joined this firm as a brash young man. I said to myself now, brash young man, don't get any ideas. And I stuck to that and I haven't had one in years. <laughs> 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 yeah. um, and then peter just the last thing i want you to um to touch on before you go to the beach um the uh private equity which is um we, you know, we talk a lot about wall street but we don't talk about private equity as much but it also has had an impact oh yeah definitely um and i think they're, 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 that's t- that ties into the ideas of, of the role that wall street uh is playing M- much of the private equity that's poured in has been backed um uh in, in many instances by wall street uh, funds but yeah they've been snatching up 
um, all sorts of pr- top tier production companies. A24 got a big infusion recently. Obviously, Reese Witherspoon's was 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 picked up a few years ago. Uh, you know, LeBron James's, Will Smith's companies, they've all seen influxes of, of, of private equity capital. And I think that the idea is that there are they want to capitalize on this this boom in, in, in television production. Um, uh, but that is ultimately uh, also creating a different sort of sense about where is the payout going to come from this big investments of private equity money that's, that comes pouring in. And I think I spoke with a couple of people about the role that that could have. And I guess the most worrisome part is that it it, it forces people, uh, uh, executives at some of these firms to do things that they don't necessarily want to do because they because once the, the, these figures start ballooning and, you know, it's not good enough. Like I, I had a quote, it's not good enough to have a four billion dollar business. You have to show that private, you have to show that you have a 20 billion dollar business. Right. And everything's chasing these inflated bigger and bad, you know, bigger and sexier things. And that ultimately is a a, a, a course that's going to end in, in disaster for at least several certain certain people, because people are going to be pushed to do things that they're not comfortable doing and that what their businesses weren't ultimately designed to do. And so I think that that is a concern as you're seeing these huge sums of money come pouring and pouring in. And the other element to the private equity is, is a lot of people who work at these um, firms that have seen private equity investments. Well, they they think that well okay well, that probably means that we'll get to go public at some point or there'll be some sort of you know uh-huh. some sort of an, an event financial event where we're, we're going to be able to you know get our windfall and I think that's happening across the town in a number of places where they've been they've been told hey hey just wait just wait um, I know this has happened at a couple of the big agencies is that they have promised uh, that there's going to be a liquidity event for a lot of them. but these liquidity events are aren't really happening at the clip that I think a lot of people expected them to start happening. So then what happens when, you know, you start selling people on the idea that you're going to be a millionaire and then five years later, they're looking out there and they're saying, I'm still renting my apartment and I need, I need, I need, where's, where's the money. And so uh, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it could get, it could get definitely tricky uh, with, with all this money pouring in and, uh, and where's it all going? I think will be the next question that a lot of journalists are going to be asking. Okay. Um, on that note, do you want to go back to your vacation? Yes, to the best of my ability. To, the, 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 to the best you can call this a vacation. Yes, I'm here with my children. <laughs> so. But yes, I, I should probably run. Um, okay, it was such a great story, Peter. Um, thanks for making time today. Thanks, you guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, Peter, thanks so much. Always great to see you. Um, Richard, I wanted to shift uh, to your piece this week uh, on the stars of tomorrow and kind of uh, one who may be forming kind of right before, in front of our eyes here in uh, Jenna Ortega, who's the star of uh, Netflix's huge hit Wednesday, who's now also going to uh, host SNL in a couple of weeks. So uh, a nice big step up for her. Uh, so Richard, you know, first one, just walk us through what you were seeing and kind of inspired you to, to, get, to put this piece together. I, I, so I wanted to use her as a case study of, yeah. it, you know, it's never it's never been easy to become a star, becoming a uh, if it was so easy to become a A-list movie star, everybody would do it. But uh, it today to become a durable star seems like we it seems like Hollywood makes one a year. Basically, Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, just, just about one a year if, if we're lucky. And we'll see. Uh, how durable they, and what what comes across is that you it it's this two step process now that you need to 
you need to you break out in the in the streaming world essentially, and that's where you get the buzz and you get the big hit. And they you you don't have uh, one one thing they they noted is that there are no stars that are sort of made on the screen anymore. No one no one no one just comes out of a maybe Florence Pugh a little bit. Uh, yeah, that's it, true. But but uh, but very very rare. They you mean the big all, screen? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yes, the, the, big the, the silver screen. Yes, yes again. Yes. The, the film world but yeah. so so they break out and they break out in streaming but to become that sort of dur- durable star you need to then take that and be part of big films and and uh and and do well in big films and um what everybody what everybody seems to say is that when you break out in hollywood you're you're 19 years old and you you're perceived as having some heat on you I mean, you can't imagine the things that just pour in, and every studio has has twenty projects just waiting to have someone attached to it that they'll that they'll just put you on, and you'll get offered a million dollars to come show up at somebody's wedding, and you can do uh, TV commercials anywhere in the world, and uh, people want you to to wave uh, their bag around on Instagram and everything else. It all comes you know, and. The the thing is for for a, for a young person, the most important thing is to have a very clear sense going into this of who it is you want to be, what what kind of what kind of star you want to be, and really control your material and use your leverage at this moment. We had one person who talked about you know you you go and you sit you you say who are the ten best directors in town and you sit down and you have meetings with all of them and don't assume that they all know what the Wednesday dance is that are just dying to see how they could turn the Wednesday dance into, into a big screen project. Like they, they live in their own lives. You need to meet with the studio executives and get them thinking of you. And if you, when you, you need to be looking for scripts and material yourselves that really conform to these, to who you see yourself in. Uh, as as a screen presence, and get the studios to buy that for you, which they will. So, l- having a clear sense of what it is you want to do, and then really taking control of that that process, and it all happens really, really quickly. It all comes at you. I mean, Jenna Ortega, you know, probably the next year she will set set her fate uh, uh, for the next five years, and and how that works out will determine. What happens to her? So it's uh, you. You've got to be ready. Point out, Richard. Three. Yes, please. Three things I thought were super. I mean, the whole piece was really interesting. But three things Mm -hmm. that I stuck in my memory. That one, like the 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 new stars we've generated, the few of the past few years have all been Disney stars, or many of them have been Disney stars. So you make the point that like these, they've been in the profession since they were six years old, and so there is a level of training that comes with. Yeah, so it makes you wonder, yeah, like, to but, become a star, star now, if you're going to break out at 16, do you have to have started when you're six to uh, to be ready for that moment? It It's something. Oh, my God, all those crazy parents who were all about the Malcolm Gladwell <laughs> 10,000 hours are now going to... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> only feeding the beast. Yeah. Um, um, okay, then this, the... Uh, you, go ahead, Richard. Well, the, the, I mean, the, the, the flip side of that with the crazy parents is having been working full-time in the entertainment industry since before you can read is not necessarily the best background to being a well-grounded person that is prepared to uh, emotionally handle handle yeah. everything that's going to come at you. That's yeah. the flip side of Correct. that. 
Um, and then you point out, and obviously I think a lot, a lot of the listeners know that, that advice Leonardo DiCaprio gave to Timothy Chalamet of like, don't wear the tights. Um, and, um, and stay away from our drugs, drugs. but you point out the similarity between Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Cruise, probably the two most durable stars of like two generations at this point, um, where they only work with top directors. Like, and you, you listed their directors, each of them has worked with, and there's a lot of crossover. Um, who, who were some of them? Oh, Tom Cruise. It's like Stanley. I mean, Tom Cruise gave what, two years of his life to Stanley Kubrick even, but yeah, yeah Bert, Marvin Scorsese, uh, both, yeah. the, uh, the, um, the, you've got, uh, you got Christopher Nolan more recently, Dar- Tarantino, I think what Leo DiCaprio's done. Barry Levinson. Yeah. Danny Boyle, James Cameron, Buzz, Baz Luhrmann, Neil Jordan, Spielberg. Yeah. Um, they, they don't, you know, I, I think Tom Cruise lately has mixed that up a little bit more and, and, and taken more chances and, and, uh, on, on, on more different directors, but it, you know, traditionally, if you want great, if you want to be part of great films, and if you're going to have a lasting career, you better be part of great films. Great directors are who make them. And I think the flip side of it is, even if you make a movie with a great director, even if it's not a big hit, um, you sort of don't lose points for that because it's sort of... Like, it doesn't blow up in your face. You're not going to get like a Razzie nomination or whatever, right? Um, and it's a, no, a noble failure. If, if well, it comes I mean, Eyes Wide Shut would be an example of that, yeah. right? So. Did, not, did not set the box off. He gave two years of his life to it. It didn't set the box office on fire, but it made him. It probably made him a bigger star because he had showed himself as a serious, a dedicated uh, actor, dramatic actor, and his performance was nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, and then you point out that this sort of um, turning point that anyone who starts to get noticed in Hollywood, um, if they're lucky, is eventually has to decide, as you called it, to cape. Or not to cape, yeah. meaning when Marvel comes calling, what do you do? Yeah, and um, we we pointed to uh, Jennifer Lawrence as an example of a star who she did the she did the X Men movies, but was not overwhelmed by them. On the on the flip side, you have someone like Brie Larson, who was a huge breakout star with she with, with a little little independent movie, and then the room one. Best actress at, at age twenty six, and then did Captain Marvel, and that is all she's done for the past five years, and that's and she's been Captain Marvel, and when she emerges from that, well, she's still, you know, there's no, there's no saying that she's she has a serious dramatic career waiting for her five years from now when she decides to step back into it. It's like, you know, you look at Chris Hemsworth doing Thor. Does he have a career outside of Thor? I mean, I'm sure he can get an independent movie made, but nobody sees him as a dramatic actor. Uh, and, things. and so it's you, you, for, for, uh, for, for Jenna Ortega, when that call comes, um, making sure it's not a part that's just going to swallow your career up and you're going to get lost in it. You could, you can do that part if you can sort of own it and, and it not be an overwhelming commitment. Uh, you mentioned indies. You make an in, you made an interesting point about indies. That used to be the way an actor got street cred pretty fast. Um, and but you pointed out something I hadn't realized about Daisy Ridley. Yeah, Daisy Ridley was in a uh, a movie at Sundance this year. It was uh, I, I saw it. It was a 
uh, a very interesting movie uh, that that I, I recommend if any of you ever have the chance to see it. Um, but what is it? It's called uh, Sometimes I Think About Dying. The oh, yeah, you liked that one. I did like it very much. Yeah. It's a very, very, very small film. Very, like, very small. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has not gotten, it hasn't gotten distribution. So uh, Daisy Ridley, star of uh, Star Wars trilogy, made a tiny little movie that, that can't get picked up now. I'm sure eventually it will turn up on a streamer somewhere. It's probably never going to make it to theaters. Um, and there's a bunch of those at Sundance this year. Uh, Amelia um, Jones from from Coda, who's huge breakout one, is in, was in this movie Cat Person, which uh, which also hasn't hasn't found a distributor yet. Um, so it's I I don't think you get any credit for just being in an in, in part of the Sundance buzz anymore. It's it's not it's not followed in that way. It's not where you show that you're serious, and it can have a if you have the right role and it's the right Sundance movie that someone said become gets in the Oscar conversation, gets in is is up for the Palme d'Or at Cannes, um, that will still do you very well. But just being in a in a in a little indie film that uh, doesn't doesn't win you any points now, and it could have a strong negative effect if if those things don't work out for the movie, and you lose a however many months of your life uh, working on it and promoting it if, if it doesn't go anywhere. And for Jenna also, Richard, at this point in her life and, you know, being her age, you know, endorsements was another, or maybe uh, marketing campaigns of other brands was also something else that people were bringing up of like, again, we've talked about it here, you know, stars need to be made. You need marketing. And it's like, well, sometimes that's the studio, you know, doing, putting you on a poster, but that's not the only way to go about that. And that may be a real viable way or viable channel, maybe she should start exploring. Yeah, and 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 our the people I talked to are talking about these campaigns that, um, that like Charlie's Throne does for what was she? Uh, or, yeah, where it's very high end, elegant, and where it builds the mystique of the person. It's it's all built around that person, and it builds their mystique. Now, Jen Ortega is currently the spokesperson for Neutrogena, which right. uh, which which probably gives her some credit with the young people, but is that, is that how she wants to be seen uh, in the long run as the, the Nutra is the face of Neutrogena. So that's uh, another question. Right. And Quinta Bunch, sure, Quinta sure Brunson a wonderful also product was out there, you know, young star again, same thing. She's doing that campaign or I think she's in that person. Olay. Olay. So thank yeah, you, right. Jeff. <laughs> I need you, Jess. I'm like, it's a pretty product. I don't know. What it it always shows during my Yellowstone viewing. It comes on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's funny. I'm like, yeah, Yellowstone has any stars and made off of Yellowstone versus streaming versus network TV and things like that. You know, it's it's interesting to see the 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 uh, the graph of 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 stardom that comes off of these things sometimes. But uh, I think it's Bentley's more great... big stars coming in. That's what it looks like with Yellowstone. Yeah. West Bentley's got a nice rebound, I guess, uh, off of that. He's uh, benefited well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Janice, I know you know you were worried that earnings season was over, but not yet. We do have more next week, so rest assured, Warner Brothers Discovery is finally coming up to bat next Thursday, so okay, we will have that next week uh, and see what Zaz has been up to uh, since the fall. And of course, I will wrap up all of the Ant-Man numbers and so forth in the wake up on Monday morning, or uh, maybe closer to noon, but anyway, that'll be out on Monday. And uh, remember to uh, subscribe, 
to The Ankler at theankler.com and follow us on the socials at The Ankler. Thanks as always for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week.